care for all Rose can suck my balls Fuck your reply guys Please don't fuck your reply guys Just listen to reply guys Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us I'm Julia Clare I'm Kate Willett Man, this week I was... I was feeling so ashamed. We talked about shame on the last episode, and I was thinking about how ashamed I feel to have a leftist comedy podcast. And <laughs> I, as a comedian, have uh, like a 10-minute story on the internet and on my album about uh, a time that I contracted chlamydia, and for some reason, having a leftist podcast is like more shameful to me. I don't know why. Uh, because your priorities are in the right place. That's what I think it is. We are joined this week at the top of the show, even uh, by Josh Gondelman. Normally, we wait uh, to bring in our guests, but not this week. But not this week because Josh is a very good friend of ours uh friend of the pod friend of the pod both of ours um and also uh that that just is like so pod save america friend of the pod friend of the pod calling any podcast a pod like you have to save time by not saying (laughs) cast it's like you're already doing a podcast (laughs) you've got the time (laughs) say cast there's just too much that we need to get to and i needed to abbreviate (laughs) everyone get off my dick so josh gondelman is a writer for Desus and Miro for a long time. He was a writer for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. So what we're saying is uh, he is uh, a member of the neoliberal media class. (laughs) (laughs) It's the first uh, neolib we've had on the show. I'm one of those East Coast elites you hear so much about. (laughs) Blue check Josh Gondelman. Oh, blue check Josh Gondelman. Wow. That's what my, that's what my, it says on my birth certificate. Yeah. It was a prophecy. Your your birth was verified. My birth was verified, yeah. I think everyone's is, or most people's are, right? That's why they have the certificates. Yeah. (laughs) We're we're all on the grid here. That's good. Yeah. Um, For now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, of all the three of us, you're definitely you would be the first off the grid. Oh yeah, the first off the no. I go off the grid for like three weeks a year. This is what this is what we were saying last week is that uh, Kate is more familiar with logging off than I am because she goes camping and on like ayahuasca retreats and stuff, which is so cool. And I wish that I. Had, were spiritually brave. Yeah, me too. I don't want to look inside. I was. I don't know what's in there. It is bad enough to be a white woman hosting a podcast, but to be a white woman hosting a podcast that also does ayahuasca retreats—that's really embarrassing. And I don't know if I want you putting my business out there like that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I am spiritually connected, but that's that's so good though. I've nothing. This is why you and I have like a nice yin and yang is because right. you are very spiritually and dialed And you don't in. believe in the concept of yin and yang. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I will have to look it up later. Have either of you guys ever done psychedelics just to turn this into no. the Joe Rogan podcast? Um, I did mushrooms once and um, I, I did them wrong, I would say. Wait. Really? Because I tried to do ecstasy once and I did it wrong. Yeah, yeah. I did it inside, which everyone says. I did it inside at night. I was with other people, but I um, was like 24. Um, and it was after a comedy festival. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I cried uh, for the first time in like years. So that was a lot. I did hallucinate a little bit. But did you feel the God in everything, though? It was so long ago, you know? Who could That's say? That's a no. <laughs> oh, you're weaseling out of that question. Yeah. I am, no, I will say that I am very, like, I lean uh, traditionally gaudy, I think. I have a very churchy past, so I have, I do still, you know, feel the wind sometimes. <laughs> and wonder um i don't know i feel very exposed right now and i hate it no i'm really sorry i think those are both wonderful ways to be i believe in nothing Mm -hmm. in but in like a nice way (laughs) like i'm like a pleasant nihilist okay where i'm like i believe that i yeah like i don't i'm not religious i'm also not spiritual Mm -hmm. uh but i i'm like a big i don't know I, i think 
I believe in people. So I think I'm closer to Kate than to Julia. Yeah. I mean, not many people are on my team anymore. <laughs> I don't think, which is like, uh, yeah, religious, but not spiritual. <laughs> Yo, that is, pre- yeah, that is pretty weird. That's classic. I connect to God through uh, drugs and sex and also socialism. I feel like I grew up as a Christian and uh, for me, my political participation is the outlet for the impulse that I feel to help my neighbor. Yeah, that's and I wonderful. Feel like a lot of, pe- I feel like that's true for a lot of people. I actually totally agree with that. And Gia Tolentino has talked about this a little bit too, because she was raised in like a Houston mega church, and she said that it has. That, that kind of framing, even though she doesn't really believe in it anymore, has like informed a lot of her leftism. And I, I agree with that. I think that it's, I mean, yeah, the thing that made me like totally fall away from organized religion was uh, when I was very briefly born again. Who boy. And I this was wasn't like last year. Or anything, no, was it? it was okay. not. It was in, it was in college, which again is too old for that, but it's, uh, <laughs> no, I feel like, I feel like there's a very specific subset of people who get more religious in college. It's, and it's, they're it's very literally just Blair Saki and me. That's I, it. <laughs> I went to Brandeis and I knew Jews who like became more religious okay. in college. I but, became bisexual in college no i was uh out as bisexual in high school actually for me college was a time to explore that's drugs a, yeah that's that's most the people beauty of the female form i saw the beastie boys in college which is my most jewish and religious experience wow. my, my judaism is rooted i think in the same idea of like good works towards neighbors that's i think something i really believe in um, apologies. That's truly like the, the that's well. That's Catholicism and, too. Yep. And and the Beastie Boys. That's like what I. Be- <laughs> that's truly what I believe in. I was like on the verge of tears twice this week thinking about how much I love the Beastie Boys and how I much they mean to me. Love that about you so much. And yeah, basically, I ended up falling away from all of this because I got. I like started being exposed to more like evangelical Christianity and there's a lot of like the prosperity gospel yeah. in that. And that is really what made me like totally turn off to all of it because it's so, it's so unbiblical. It's just like, it's literally like God wants you to be rich and if you're poor, that's also God's will and he's punishing And there's you. <laughs> also this weird element to it, right? Of like, God wants you to be rich and the proof is I'm rich. Yes. <laughs> Which is like and the way so for perverse. you to get rich is to give, give me, me money. your money. Yeah. It's yeah. so yeah, it's just so fucking wrong. I don't know. My family my extended family was into that stuff. Um it was uh they were into Amway. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh there's such a good podcast called The, the, the Dream. Dream. Yeah, it's I've, so good. I have what? nothing to do with oh this. Oh my podcast. god, I can't believe yeah. you have, this is this know. is like so up your alley. Yeah, we um, love it. We have nothing to do with this podcast. We are just plugging this, like, as <laughs> true fans. Shout out to Jane Marie and yeah. Little Everywhere Productions. It's great. It's, like, a history of, um, like, multi-level marketing pyramid schemes Ooh. going back to, like, the kind of roots in early prosperity gospel Christianity, talking about, like, kind of commu- the community aspect. It's, like, very um, generous, I think, towards its subjects in terms of being like here are the things that have been offered by the the, by these institutions in the past that are like possibly real benefits even though the financial thing was shady and like here's the what they've morphed into now that is is just these like hyper capitalism uh it's really good you would love it it's not a leftist podcast but it's not a podcast that a person could listen to and feel amazing about capitalism no i i think it's like well, there's a whole there's a whole section in Dark Money about Amway, especially as a because yeah, it's the DeVos the family. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Ugh. yeah, it's really it's really fascinating. Um, it, it's awesome. It's a really good podcast. So this week is going to be a slightly different kind of episode because Julia and I are, as you hear this, both not in New York. We normally record on Sundays. And then we put episodes out on Wednesdays. Um, but this week, 
when you listen to this, I'm going to be in Scotland and Julia, you're going to be where? Oh man, much less exciting. You're going on family vacation, right? Yeah, for the first time in 10 years, I'm All going right. on vacation with my parents and I'm going to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, baby. I'm, I'm <laughs> Eat some also, Dunkin' Donuts for me. I'm also not going to be in New York when it comes out. Not that that's essential. I'm usually, you know, yeah, I'm it is usually not on this podcast. Yeah. So since we're not in town right now, we're not going to start with current events because it will be too old by the time you listen to this podcast. Um, so what this episode is going to be, uh, we are going to go in to the history of Joe Biden and we're going to fucking <laughs> drag his ass. Um, I did have a vision that the name of this episode would be drag his ass semicolon Joe Biden. I think it will be. I mean, it, it's like, I think about it and, you know, I've been, as a comedian, writing all these jokes about like, fuck boys for years. Yeah. But it was, you know, I was really just uh, cutting my teeth so that they could be <laughs> sharp for the time where I really needed them to demolish centrist trash. But first, um, we would like to talk about a reply guy of the week which will be old by the time that you hear this but it's still but eternal but the, the national labor board investigation will be ongoing <laughs> so it's still topical yes um our reply guy of the week is uh dave portnoy who is the founder of barstool sports and josh and i are both from boston um so yeah. we are well acquainted with the uh, the trash <laughs> I, we don't have sports in california we just have mushroom yeah <laughs> that's why you're all uh, healthier of mind and body um but not us technically it's pronounced barstool guy <laughs> so okay so i i actually don't know what this website is would you explain it to me briefly and in the process explain it to our listeners okay so you're like, hey, I'm looking for some date rape apologia. Um, where do I go? There is Barstool for Wait, you. so is it really? It's like... It's, no, it's... it's, it's just, it is a... It's a... It, I think of it as like a glorified blog. Yeah, like, I mean, it's a... It's like... It's a, a blog. A blog, but it's it's like... It's very big. It's, it's like, huge. And they, they've... And it's been blogged. around for a long time. Yeah over over 10 years that sounds right um and but it's it's a very kind of particular sort of it's like um it's locker room talk yeah no <laughs> like it in totally the colloquial is. sense that's what it is it's like guys who want to just who want don't want to be fettered by like the bounds of uh contemporary society and wish that they could be radio hosts in the 80s i am i almost wish i almost wish that the phrase toxic masculinity were not so ubiquitous because you're hard-pressed to find a better usage uh for it than barstool sports it's like it's like the times we wasted the hitler comparison (laughs) right truly if it's like if like me yelling suck my dick when i'm alone in a car (laughs) while someone cuts me off in traffic if that's toxic masculinity then we need a new word for this Um, but essentially, Dave Portnoy came under fire this week uh, because he responded to uh, a lawyer on Twitter, and the lawyer had said, if you work for Barstool and want to have a private chat about the unionization process, how little power your boss has to stop you, and how you can leverage that power to make your life better, my DMs are open. The Ringer employees want to unionize. Little refresher on how I feel about unions. Uh and he uh spoiler he doesn't like them because he's a dumb scab and uh yeah so basically this uh this lawyer replied with that to him saying uh basically that he's a lawyer if you want to if you're work for barstool and you want to and you're interested in unionization talk to me and uh dave portnoy uh quote tweeted that and said if you work for barstool sports and dm this man i will fire you on the spot before we get into this can i just say like how fucking cool it would be if every man who slid into my dms was just trying to unionize <laughs> can't, can't help me unionize <laughs> yeah. i mean it is it is my greatest fear that my reply guys will 
unionized. Yeah, oh, uh, that would be bad. And I, I fear every what day would, that they will. What would the conditions be that they would demand uh, replies? Yeah, I that, I, so. that I talk to them. Yeah, uh, and at least fave some of this shit. <laughs> All right, go ahead. And healthcare. Uh, yeah. Um. Yeah. So basically, so this tweet like totally blew up because it's a violation of federal law to threaten your workers uh, with firing if you if they if they try to, to unionize. And so now there's going to be like a National Labor Board investigation. AFL-CIO responded to the tweet with with a little refresher on the law. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez got involved and um, Dave Portnoy's brain has just been melting ever since this and hap- he like challenged her to a debate yeah, right? yeah. which and like men said, love to challenge oh, AOC man. to a debate yeah. they're like debate me it's, what did he say he's like welcome, welcome to, to the Thunderdome, Thunderdome. The, can I credit <laughs> someone else's joke because it's so perfect yes. yeah. which Matt Goldich he writes for Seth Meyers and is so such a perfect funny joke writer tweeted uh, Joe Crowley is the only white man who doesn't want to debate Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez <laughs> yeah. which is like truly a great poll such a funny niche joke yeah that's awesome that's so funny um yeah I feel it's Dave Portnoy and fucking Ben Shapiro yeah they both <laughs> just want to debate uh it's it there is something that feels so like openly sexual about the way that these dudes are trying to challenge AOC to a debate. It has a very like, yeah, let's fuck kind of yeah. energy to it. It's really gross. It's it is gross. And also, it's it's also just like we are entitled to your time and attention. Also, in this case, there is not anything to debate. Exactly. It's like you either committed a labor rights violation. That's that's truly like you you being like, uh, you stabbed me and me being like, well, debate me and he's like well that's really for the courts to debate (laughs) like he's broken a federal law it's not like you don't just get to be like i pick a congresswoman and i yell at her and then what i did wasn't illegal yeah (laughs) like this decision is left to the states yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not breaking the law if you own someone yeah truly did you see how hard i dunked on her (laughs) people are mad at them uh this year or last year because they were talking about how like Rihanna is fat now or something. It's just like truly it's very like just like why can't dudes be dudes anymore is that is their whole vibe. Just like I just want to pull my dick out. Period. That's all I want. Yeah, I mean That's just a thing about me. Yeah. If you don't respect that, it's like hello, First Amendment. Um It's weird too because there was like uh, yeah, like the his reply guys, who I guess were some of the barstool employees, yes. like people were just like, yeah, we don't want to be in a fucking union. Unions are for pussies. Yeah, so, okay. that's what he said. He said he said unions are for pussies. Yeah, which is an incredible. Take. Did he really say that? He yes. did. Yeah, they tweeted it from like one of the barstool and, accounts he said on a podcast. Yeah, and I it's, think. Yes, it was. Oh, I thought that I just made that no, up that's right now. No, that's a real thing. Oh, my God. Real. Which is also... You so love to see it, I was as talking, they say on the internet. <laughs> I was talking about this earlier. First of all, the toxicity of that statement is just to like make a union seem unmanly so that their hyper-masculine employees don't want to join it. Second of all, it's just like, you know, unions are for pussies like Teamsters and Longshoremen <laughs> yeah. and Iron Workers. Yeah. Do you know yeah. anything about unions? These are like the most metal people on earth. Men blog. <laughs> I get why when you own a company, you don't want your employees to unionize so you can better exploit them. Yeah. But like the idea of like, Oh, unions? What are you, a girl? Yeah. It's like so bananas to me. And like, and also to say it and tweet it from like your personal account, from your company account, yeah. is like, it is truly like going down like the Scarface of labor violations <laughs> of just like tweeting through it, committing violation after violation. He's, he's deleted any of yeah. the tweets. So Josh, can we ask you a little bit about your comedy writing sure yeah okay so you worked at last week tonight for a long time i did i think one thing that will really be of interest to our listeners is like how the topics get chosen if you can talk about that sure so you don't have to tell us anything like no that's okay it's like so some things are pitched from writers some things are kind of called by the and pitched by the 
uh, producers that work in research and producers that work in footage. And then some are just things that like John and uh, the uh, one of the other executive producers, Tim, are like fascinated with and are like, oh, let's let's look more into this and see if this is a story. So it's like the pitches come from kind of all over the office, which is pretty cool. Right now you work at these. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. I love them. Oh, they're wonderful. They're so, they're fun. so funny too. I've like truly gone. I, I say this all the time, but like I've truly gone from like one dream job to a second dream <laughs> job. It's like unbelievably fortunate. Honestly, fuck you, kid. And what's your process <laughs> like for writing jokes each week? It's different. I mean, like it's the the writing that has to get done at Jesus and Marrow is so much different than what I had to do at last week tonight, where like that was a lot of kind of sitting in a room and like scripting. Uh, and then getting into a room with the other writers and and just uh, zillions of joke pitches. And at Jesus and Marrow, it's a lot about like writing really clean copy because they improvise so much on set. And then writing sketches and pitching um, interesting places for them to go in the field, interesting things for them to do with guests. Um, so it's like a, t- a very different experience. And I feel like I'm like learning a bunch of different skills than I kind of cultivated at last week tonight, which is like, I feel again, very fortunate to, to get to kind of like have worked into such different modes. Did you get to meet AOC? I didn't. I was, um, I think I had to come across the street and start editing the show while she was being interviewed on set. No. And none of the, I don't know. Did one of the writers go to DC? I don't remember. Maybe, but that, that piece was so fun. And, um, she was you, our first ever guest, right? First guest. And then also... They've had, they've had a number of the, the 2020 candidates. A couple on, of the few of the yeah. 2020 candidates have been on. Um, we've had... Kirsten Gillibrand. Kirsten Gillibrand, Pete Buttigieg. Um, no. we, we have some more coming up. We hate, uh, we hate Mayor, Mayor Pete. Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't endorse him. He was just on the show. And uh, Stacey Abrams was a really oh, amazing fun. guest. Yeah, she did an interview in studio and she was like so... like. Funny off the cuff, and just like she did such a wonderful job explaining like the importance of um, voting rights. It was like in, in such a fun interview setting. She was really an awesome guest. Oh, that's awesome! I gotta yeah, watch it was that really clip. cool. Yeah. I bet that's online. Yeah, um, that man, that election. Seems she was robbed. They try. Yeah. I think they tried to get her to announce some kind of candidacy on the show and she kept turning She's like, down. I'm not right. You know who else tried to get her to do that? Who's that? Joe Biden. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Do, remember when Joe Biden just declared that Daisy Abrams uh, was going to be his likely running mate and she was like, yeah, we've oh, yes. never, we've never talked about this. Uh, it's just like, um, yeah, that's one of those things that like only... A man could It's do. like when a high schooler invites a celebrity to, put that to prom. On, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if I want to put that on men. I feel like that is a thing that only Joe Biden would do. <laughs> what a huge shot to call of like, this person is going to be my running mate. We're, they're, we're, I am not going to check with them. Yeah, yeah. Check with them. They ideally will have to work subordinate to me directly for four years. Uh, maybe eight. And uh, you know what? No need to run this by them. <laughs> I like how she was just like no yeah that's so funny <laughs> it was it was embarrassing for oh him man for two days. And, but that that's the thing with joe biden is that uh he does a lot of things that are very embarrassing and somehow keeps failing upward and we would like for this to be the last time that joe biden fails upward it is I just, time to go it's time uh, to go joe <laughs> yeah um i want to say that i I've come to resent Joe Biden so much and I've come to dislike him so much and I never wanted it to be this way. I wanted Joe Biden to sail off into the the good night of um, all of us just forgetting his many wrongdoings and uh, but he had to run for president. And so now we have to talk about how uh, bad he is because I don't, we can't have him be president. We He's cannot too have bad. him be president. Um, well, he, let's, I, let's say we can't have him be the nominee. That's where I, oh, sure. that yes. is for real because I don't want to have to take it back. Like, well, we nominated him. We already said he can't be president. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. So I guess Gary Johnson. <laughs> Gary Johnson. No, yes. I, no, I don't mean to. Someone, I don't mean to no, like mansplain. I no, think that just, I no. I, I I agree with you. I think that I just have I have a level of optimism that Trump will be defeated, but 
you know, I don't. it could be. I know. Yeah. I think that that's for me. That's it's like that's the ayahuasca I, talking. I, I yeah. do you know. Think, I do think <laughs> yeah. though for 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 the inverse of reasons, right? The the reason that people want Joe Biden to be the nominee isn't because of any specific policy positions he right. holds or. Um, ideas that he propounds is just like this idea of like electability, right? Yes. And I actually think that he is uniquely in this field. Maybe not, maybe not the sole unique person in this field, but he is in this field a person who has so many disqualifying traits mm-hmm. because I, the the little, many of the little and large things he does badly that like. Uh, that Trump, if Trump accused, you know, oh, handsy Joe Biden or whatever, people will go, well, Trump can't say that because Trump has these sexual assault allegations. Like, well, absolutely he'll say it. Yeah. And then he will never admit to any of his own wrongdoing. That's and kind it will of just, his thing. Yes, that's his whole <laughs> yeah. thing. Like, there is no, like, at, Trump will just destroy Biden. Oh, my. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Joe Biden is not. I don't really think that he's going to get younger voters to to turn out for him. Um, here's what he here's the thing that he said about uh, millennials recently. Um, the younger generation now tells me how tough things are. Give me a break. No, no, I have no empathy for it. So my message is get involved. There's no place to hide. Wide open. Go out and change it. And, you know, I think that he's right. And I think that uh, the only inspiration that I take from this piece of advice is that we should get involved in defeating Joe Biden. <laughs> that is how we will change Get him. involved. Get out there. Yeah. We're going to take him down. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Build um, a wall around Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so as millennials, um, we're going to go forward trying to do our part uh, changing the world by dragging his ass on a podcast. <laughs> Um, all right. So where should we start with Joe Biden's litany of wrongdoing? Should we start Ooh, with boy. like kind of small funny before we go into the like uh the hits. The hits. Yeah. <laughs> uh do you know that he had to drop out of the nineteen eighty eight presidential race for plagiarism? What? Yes, he plagiarized some of his campaign speeches and he also plagiarized papers in college. Um, Both with Duran Duran lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> it was really rough. Uh, and this is like, man, it's like, you're, you're already a white dude. Like, you know, you're just, you're not going to get bad grades. Yeah. Like, just make something up. Just bullshit your way <laughs> through it. Like every other white guy doesn't call. I feel like, though, it's even worse when you're, because you don't know that you're going to run for president, right? You're just like, well, I'm going to pass college. When you get to <laughs> running for president and he you get up. St- he still was plagiarizing that. That's what I mean. Yeah. When you get to that point and you're just like. Uh, Nobody's going to notice, yeah, right? <laughs> my fellow Americans, won't you take me to Funky Town or whatever it is. That you're just, this is like, and if you get caught before the internet, that's some like obvious plagiarism, <laughs> right? Like if you're plagiarizing in a way people who can't Google it now. <laughs> you just like, well, whew, 1988. What can I say? It's the best of times. It's the worst of times. Uh, so let's talk about 70s Joe Biden. Should we jump into it? Yeah. Sure. All right. Um, so uh, Joe Biden, um, when he was running for Senate, uh, one way that he uh, tried to rally voters around him um, is by very vocal opposition to busing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this wasn't like a position that he took like just on one issue. Like he was writing newspapers about it. Um, he, yeah, he was like giving interviews. Um, he, he was like an outspoken advocate for opposing busing. Here are some of the things that he said. I do not buy the concept popular in the 60s which said, we have suppressed the black man for 300 years and the white man is now far ahead in the race for everything our society offers. In order to even the score, we must now give the black man a head start or even hold the white man back to even the race, Biden said in a Delaware newspaper in 1975. Yeah. And, okay, so we were talking on the podcast last week about um, (laughs) the kind of particular problem of being held to the standard of things that you said like five years ago or 10 years ago mm-hmm. in perpetuity. And the reason why Joe Biden is 
an exception to this rule is because he has not sufficiently or really at all in a lot of cases apologized for any of this stuff. Well, see, I would take a little bit of a different position on that. I think that you can kind of get a sense of where you I think you can get a sense of a person's character through their actions over time. And I think that one narrative about Joe Biden is like, oh, his decisions made sense in the context of the time. But mm-hmm. in my research about Joe Biden for this podcast, like he was on the conservative side of the issues and was sure. vocally opposed by liberals the whole time. And a lot of the time um, leveraged that, like especially we see like his crime stuff later, like he was trying to use his opposition to liberals to like leverage himself politically. Sure. So I, I'm just saying I'm not... Maybe I'm not arguing with you. Maybe I'm arguing with like my my friend who's not here who thinks Joe Biden is fine. But um. right. And what I was trying to say there is that Joe Biden does not apply to what we were talking about last week because he still sort of defends those positions today. Yeah. And that's the opposite of what we were talking about last week. It's like stuff that we don't believe anymore that we're still held to those opinions. But Joe Biden never really. If anything, he, you know, he defends a lot of these positions. And Brown versus Board of Education was decided in 1954. And busing was a major uh, way that people opposed the enforcement of it, which, you know, the ruling said that, you know, separate but equal is not equal. And uh, segregation is illegal, particularly in schools. So busing was a huge tool for people in the South, uh, was fighting busing uh, in both the South and the North uh, to fight integration. So Joe Biden, he didn't just oppose busing. Here's the thing that he said about busing. I oppose busing. It's an asinine concept, the utility of which has never been proven to me. I've gotten to the point where I think our only recourse to eliminate busing may be a constitutional amendment. Um, Yes, he published. <laughs> Directly challenging. That's uh, how much he loves Amtrak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing that he said on this issue um, <laughs> in another Delaware publication, I don't feel responsible for the sins of my father and grandfather. All I feel right. responsible for what the situation is today, for the sins of my own generation, and I'll be damned if I feel responsible to pay for what happened 300 years ago. I will not be responsible for the sins of my father. I will commit my own sins over and over again for decades. I'm really sorry to go (laughs) hard on the Joe Biden quotes, but I do think that I think that this stuff shows how he managed to make friends with so many segregationists, like why he was working so closely with these people, because, you know, it's like that uh, Gillum test. You know, do the racists think you're a racist? And the answer is yes. So... Opposition to busing and saying that it doesn't work is weirdly something that a lot of people still believe today. And it's just not, it's never been shown to be true. The opposite is shown to be true that school integration is the only way that we've kind of been able to, in different states, bridge the racial disparity in education. He's still defending a lot of this today. I, I would also like... I, all this stuff to defend that today. And like, to me, the kind of luster of like reach across the aisle politics, even when you're not working with segregationists is like, is so that's such a dim, uh, the, the shine of that is really dim for me because it's like, right. That's what he's running on now. Right. But it's like you, you were in the Obama White House for eight years. You saw that like the most modest progressive changes were fought tooth and nail by even when they're the, the most robust olive branches is extended. And Biden is now like, what we need is eight more years of that. Yeah. He gave the eulogy at Strom Thurmond's funeral. Yikes. Um, yeah. I don't know how you live through. I don't know how you are the vice president when Sandy Hook happens. Yes. And then say what we need is more bipartisanship. It's it's like, yeah, but th- not that the Democrats are perfect, but it's like the Republican Party is the party that needs to be extending more yes. bipartisan support. You can't be like, what we need is more compromise from the side that's doing all the compromising. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people um, 
who don't know that much about Joe Biden. And when they talk about the crime bill, um, they'll say stuff like, oh, well, you know, it was another time. Um, and I, I want to read you one of Joe Biden's own quotes. Um, here's, here's Joe Biden um, in 1994. Let me define the liberal wing of the Democratic Party. The liberal wing of the Democratic Party is now for 60 new death penalties. This is what's in the bill. The liberal wing of the Democratic Party has 70 enhanced penalties. The liberal wing of the Democratic Party is for 100,000 cops. The liberal wing of the Democratic Party is for 125,000 new state prison cells. So like he is bragging in this about how he has actually gotten um, liberals and progressives to sign on to this like very conservative legislation. Like he, he heard uh, the voices that were like, oh, you know, let's uh, treat people who have been accused of crimes or convicted of crimes with more compassion. And uh, he said, no thanks. No thanks. Um, let's play like a, a little clip that I think really illustrates how he th thinks about this. Under the leadership of Senator Thurman, and I'd like to suggest that I take some small credit for it myself as well, and others, the presiding officer, that there is now a death penalty. And we passed it a couple years ago. If you are a major drug dealer involved in the trafficking of drugs and murder results in your activities, you go to death. And a number of other severe penalties. We changed the law so that if you are arrested and you are a drug dealer, under our forfeiture statute, you can, the government can, take everything you own, everything from your car to your house, your bank account, not merely what they confiscate in terms of the dollars from the transaction that you just got caught engaging in. They can take everything. We have laws in the last several years where we don't allow judges discretion to sentence people. Flat time sentencing. You get caught, you go to jail. Yeah, so, you know, that's how he, um, that's how he feels about that. Uh, this wasn't the only piece of crime legislation that he was involved in. He, uh, in 84, worked with Ted Kennedy and Strom Thurmond to produce the Senate Reform Act, which abolished parole for federal crimes, tough in sentencing. Um, 86, he co-sponsored the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, uh, in 1988, in 91, he introduced a bill that established 51 death-eligible federal crimes. Did not know there were 51 crimes that carried the death <laughs> yeah. penalty. I can think of like maybe four. Yeah, I mean, and he he bragged about it. Um, yeah, he he was really stoked um, that uh, he had increased the death penalty so much, and even like the Violence Against Women Act, uh, which is I think often cited as like one of his best accomplishments like it was tucked in to this crime bill um and yeah it's it's pretty gross and he said as recently as 2016 that he does not regret it um I, yeah i was just gonna say that um i because i did some research about the violence against women act as well and i think that joe biden uses that as a shield one of the things that pisses me off personally the most about joe biden um is that i've fucking hate a fake male feminist yeah and this is this is him all right this is joe all right so um yeah the anita hill hearings we we all know we all know about it but they they happen in in 1991 when clarence thomas was nominated to be a supreme court justice um and this was another situation joe biden was uh the head of the senate judiciary committee so he basically controlled the rules of what went on during those hearings and he uh according to multiple people who you know worked in the senate at that time bent over backwards for republicans which is something we've talked about time and again um uh, there was a Democrat from Ohio, Howard Messenbaum, who said Joe bent over too far backwards to accommodate the Republicans who were going to get Thomas on the court come hell or high water. And an advisor to Ted Kennedy uh, said uh, Biden agreed to the terms of the people who were out to disembowel Hill. Um, yeah. And so, like, 
a, a feature of that of those hearings, right, were Hill's testimony that that um, Clarence Thomas had created a like a hostile workplace with mm-hmm. harassment uh, prevalent from coming from him directly. Yeah, and that he and Biden, who was in charge of these, let the Republicans just like question her in really gross ways, kind of like really aggressively, right, and didn't allow her many I think there were like corroborating witnesses yeah, that were allowed allow to speak allow and then yeah. he said like last year maybe it was earlier this year oh I feel so bad about what happened to Anita Hill I wish that there was something I could have done I know <laughs> and that was that was in April yeah and that is the closest he's ever come to apologizing for it it's, and he's never personally apologized mm-hmm. according to her he yeah. has never personally apologized to her um it's like that's like a bummer and again like you said it's like a bummer from the point of view of of sexism but also it just shows like the his the idea of him seeming fair yeah to the other side yeah is like paramount to um delivering some kind of like justice or actual fairness because i think like the the um the appearance of fairness is like something that Democrats are very intent on creating sometimes. Whereas like, especially from his generation. Yes, and he's sure. always been a little bit more like that, mm-hmm. even than many totally. Democrats. And it's, it's like a super, it's like when the, it's like when the New York times is like, well, we're hiring a voice because a diversity of opinions is important. And you're like, <laughs> and the, the person is like, I think, what if we let drones run for office? He's the and fucking like, Brett Stevens. Yeah, he's the, he's the Brett Stevens of True, and it's like, presidential candidate. Because he, or the, um, what's his name? James, the, the who runs the editorial page, right? Somebody that we who, shouldn't remember their name. That's yeah. like with Bennett? Joe Biden, like we should not remember him. The idea of like, okay, we have to do this to look fair is like, I I'm I don't know. It's like something that I'm increasingly tired of in my adult life because it's like, well, the actual fair thing is to do what's just, yeah. not to like look like you're giving equal time to the people that are wrong. It's like it's it's the problem that I have with Pete Buttigieg's uh, description of what he wants to do to the Supreme Court. Yeah, it's so mangled and insane but he's like there should be an equal number of democrats and republicans like no i that's not no i think i mean uh, mayor pete you know pete Buttigieg saying it should be half democrats half republicans or whatever is like that is such a naive yes kind of uh like stars in your eyes yeah. type solution. I don't think it's naive. I think that it's calculated. Maybe it is, but it's like if you were to ask Mitch McConnell, he would be like nine Republicans. Yeah, yeah. Do you know Absolutely. what I mean? That's- and it's like when you're playing to tie and yeah. the other team is playing to win, it is like it's like, well, what are we what are we showing up for? 100%. Yeah. Because Mitch McConnell has, you know, has said that his crowning achievement is denying Merrick yeah. Garland um a hear like a Supreme Court confirmation hearing, and he said that when asked, he said that if President Trump nominated someone yeah. during an election year, yeah. he would vote to confirm them immediately. Yeah, and I'm not. I don't think that you should like that necessarily. The value is like. Uh, I would play as dirty as Mitch McConnell. No. But I think when you're like, what does the Supreme Court look like? You go, well, I think it should have progressive judges who are going to be in line with the ideals of what could make the country better yeah. in their interpretation of the law. And like to be like, well, half and half. It's like, are you shitting me with yeah. half and half? Get out of here. That's like um, my refrigerator. When I open up an egg carton, I want half eggs, half bees. And it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah. You want 12 eggs. Yeah. So... Joe Biden, I think one of the worst examples we've seen of this type of compromise, definitely the most deadly, um, is his support for the war in Iraq. So here's the thing that I learned about Joe Biden when I was looking at um, his support for the war in Iraq, because I knew that he voted for it, but he, at the time, um, was the chair of the Foreign Relations Committee. And he chaired a classified hearing where George Tenet, who was uh, director of the CIA at the time, was the key witness. Um, And what Tenet said was there was intelligence 
showing that Hussein was acquiring materials for WMD. So Biden asked him, okay, uh, what evidence is there? Um, and Tenet says, well, uh, there, there isn't really. And then Joe Biden says to everybody, like, oh, you know, do you just want to, like, uh, do you want to, like, just talk alone? Like, because he's not sure. Tenet is, like, not saying it because it's, like, too secret. Sure. And Tenet's like, no, there's no reason to. So then Joe Biden starts getting nervous and he's like, there, there isn't really, like, there's no evidence for this, right? And uh, he, he then goes forward and works with two Republican senators on a resolution to allow Bush to invade Iraq only for the purposes of destroying weapons of mass destruction and only with UN approval. Like, he knows that it's wrong. Um, he knows that there's not enough evidence. So the Biden-Luger measure is supported by people in both parties. Um, it's supported secretly by Secretary of State Colin Powell. Um, and Biden is, like, kind of pushing forward on thing that like sort of is a compromise and he's like well you know if there's not WMD then uh, we won't go to war because he knows that the case for war is like really shoddy but then Dick Gephardt who's the democratic leader in the house um, starts supporting the Iraq war like out of this like well there's a lot of support from it for it publicly and you know it's September 11th is pretty recent still um, and so Joe Biden and uh, fully unrelated. Yeah. <laughs> right? Side note. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, totally. Of course. Like, yeah, absolutely. There was nothing to do with it. But anyway, so Joe Biden, he, he votes for it anyway. And yeah. like, I think that, I mean, to me, this is just such a clear example of like, no, he, he knew that there were like major, major concerns about it. Here's the thing that really gets me. Um, now in his campaign, his foreign policy advisor is Nicholas Burns, who served in George W. Bush's administration um, in the lead up to the war. I mean, he's like he's got the same people um, on his team. Um, this is what Obama Defense Secretary Robert Gates said about Joe Biden in his memoir. He's a man of integrity, incapable of hiding what he really thinks, and one of those rare people you know that you could turn to for help in a personal crisis. Still, I think he's been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy <laughs> wow. and national Ooh. security issue over the past four decades. And this, wow. isn't, this isn't like radical leftist Robert Gates. Like, this is not Jake Flores, you know? Robert Gates, go on Chapa. Uh, <laughs> what a. Um, man, go off, King. What a go turn, off, King. What a turn that sentence wow. took. Yeah, that was not where I was expecting yeah. that Holy to go. Yeah. The first half was like a wedding toast. Yeah, yeah it was and like. The, second half the first is like, half was like so sweet that yeah. it could have been Joe Biden's eulogy yeah. at Strom Thurmond's funeral. <laughs> yeah. And then the second half was like, and this is why grandpa can't live independently any longer. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel like that is a perfect distillation of how we talk about Joe Biden. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, he's so sweet. But boy, is he wrong about everything. Right, right. He'll come over with a pickup truck and he'll help you move. And then he'll just cite a bunch of inaccurate science about uh, whatever. You know what I mean? Like gender essentialism. Loves, Not that that's oh, his yeah, particular issue. He loves issue. to wink and do a lot of finger gun yeah. stuff. Yeah, he's like if James Damore is the president. Right? <laughs> like 40 years it, from now. It's like so, it just can't. Like he does. It seems like the people that he was friends with he was very good to them which is a good quality in a friend but like i don't know that's not a friend is not a president it's hard to get an accurate estimate of the death toll for the iraq war but it's somewhere between half a million and two million at this point it's for a decision that people like joe biden made out of political opportunity and then also had the audacity to have somebody from the bush administration yeah. on his current campaign that's what i keep coming back to about joe biden it's like he has made so many mistakes and he refuses to learn from them that's what is so wrong to me about him that's where i i kind of feel that's where i stand too is that like you just you don't want that on someone's record it's yeah. like a bad it's a it is a horrible thing to have on your record 
But at the very, very least, you want to be like, that was such a bad mistake. I wish that I had acted differently. I wish I had more of the information now than I had then, which like you're saying, he didn't even necessarily need more information. No, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is, is like he, he has made these decisions with a lot of information and there were like in 2005, um, Elizabeth Warren testified before the Senate. And this was kind of how she got her start in politics. This was before she was the Senator. Um, she was a professor, a Harvard Law professor, and Biden was on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, this example for me is so illustrative because Warren did a bunch of research on the causes for bankruptcy, um, and she switched from being a Republican to a Democrat because what she realized was that bankruptcies were not people's faults. Like they were happening mostly as a result of like tragic events that people had been through like medical bills and she as a person with compassion and integrity looked at that and thought man like this is really fucked up and joe biden on the other hand when she testified before him and presented that information um and what he says back to her is i got it he laughs and says you're a very very good professor so like there's something really I think kind of devoid of empathy in him on a very core level. He, I mean, he literally, in the first quote that you, you gave us about millennials, he said that he has I no, have empathy. no empathy. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I, I don't know. That's just like such a core thing of what I want in a candidate yeah. is like wanting to protect the people that are the most vulnerable from the worst that like, uh, citizens and the other the citizens corporations people. the government yeah. can do to them right like you want the most vulnerable people protected and and to be like <laughs> i get this it's like you're no. a good professor it's, also yeah it's, also that maybe that's kind of creepy towards women too. i don't know it's yeah it's it's condescending for sure yeah but it's like warren was not even like she was she was a harvard law professor at the time but she was not just a Harvard law professor. She was, and it remains the most cited bankruptcy scholar in the United States. She knows that's why she was there in the first place. Yeah. It's like, this is another thing that I want in a president is someone who listens to yeah. the right people. Yeah. Yes. Someone who doesn't bring on <laughs> members of the Bush administration. Yeah, And he, you know, and Biden, like he, he's constantly, He's trying, like, he's trying to run on Obama's legacy. Yeah. And, like, I mean, I'm definitely, like, I think we're probably all to the left of Obama, but, uh, you know, like, even for people who still stand Obama, like, oh, Biden is substantially to the right yeah. of Obama. That is why he was chosen yeah. to be Obama's running mate, because people thought that Obama was a socialist. I I um I feel, I've, I have, like, that similar worry. Like, I think when people are like, well, he's electable, I just, like, don't know like he's electable amongst the people his age who already like him yeah some someone said this on twitter that he combines all of the worst things about bill and hillary <laughs> yeah that's funny well i feel like the there are certain unsealed indictments that maybe he doesn't have the worst of both the worst part yeah i mean i, I he will run into all if he becomes the nominee he which i i don't think he will and i want to put I that can't out. believe he murdered Bertha jeffrey Shem. epstein you know what i believe it and yeah. <laughs> this is a new conspiracy theory podcast Joe Biden killed killed jeff jeffrey epstein, epstein. Jeff. Uh, <laughs> i can't stop doing that because jp mcdade keeps calling him jeff like he's a close personal friend and it makes me laugh so much um but yeah i think if he becomes if he became the nominee uh he would run into a lot of the same problems that hillary clinton did because he's been around for so long he is there is Perhaps besides the Clintons, there is no one more establishment than Joe Biden. Yeah, no, and that and that is why he is. The <laughs> he most- is the establishment. Ted Kennedy's ghost. <laughs> yeah, Joe Biden. <laughs> Honestly, would vote for Ted Kennedy's All ghost. Right. Oh, totally. I do. We have anything else to say about uh, Joe Biden? I mean, there's a, there's a lot more there's stuff lot to say about to say. Joe Biden. Like, um, he's he's done a lot of uh, fucked up stuff that we couldn't even talk about because of time. I mean, like. You know, he I've, voted I've, to repeal Glass-Steagall. What yeah. else do you have? 
Well, I, I just say that I'll just say that there's a lot of um, warm feelings towards Joe Biden because he had so little real responsibility for eight years yeah. um, in terms of things that he could actually fuck up, which he would have if he had any. Yeah, they real definitely power. like kept him and, yeah. like, talking too much. Yes, even the little gaff stuff of the last week, right? That I people hate have that brought they up. Keep calling him them gaffs. Sure, even like the fact fuck ups that he's been making in the past. <laughs> In the like, like weird racist it's like, statements. Yeah. And- it's like slightly charming in a vice president to be like a likable, you know, it's it's bad. You don't want it. But like you go, well, at least that guy's not in charge of anything. But I was like, <laughs> I'm wrong. And I'd like to be in charge of everything. <laughs> it's like so even that stuff. Like, I feel like if people are going to fucking ding Trump for tweeting Kofifi, you have to be like, Joe Biden, you have to know something like you have to say some facts correctly. <laughs> And he won't. He won't do it. Um, he refuses. I think uh, I'm very pessimistic about I a Biden do, yeah. candidacy. I think he is probably I, like I would vote for him against Donald Trump. But I super hope that I don't have, have to make to. that choice. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'll, I would vote for him against Donald Trump, too. But I mean, Ryan Graham made the point in his book. And it's a point that I've you know heard echoed that like. Let's say someone like Biden is the president. It, it could be setting ourselves up for someone even worse than Trump after that. Sure. People's lives might not get materially better in any way. I mean, probably won't, you know? And I, I think that, I think it's going to put people in a situation where, you know, you might see like Trump too, but like much, much worse. But um, I'm with you. It's just like, don't like you said at the beginning, Julia, just don't run for president. Yeah. Let everybody remember your Parks and Rec cameo. And, and you know, the water gun fights on the White House lawn with yeah. kids and your aviators and eating ice cream for eight years. Yep. That is what he did. There are so many pictures on the internet of Joe Biden eating ice cream. I find that, that very <laughs> relatable. I also <laughs> ate a lot of ice cream from 2008 to 2016. <laughs> That's the that's the most relatable thing about him. Oh, see, I don't know. I think you don't like ice cream. No, I I like ice cream, but I just <laughs> I I have I have no warm feelings for Joe Biden. To- did did you ever though? No. Understood. And like you're probably on an intellectual level the most right of all of yeah. us. But I just mean like. Just go, man. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, like, it's time to retire. Yeah, time to, like, it's like time to go in front of the Home Shopping Network. Yeah. Just sit there forever. Just chill. Go quietly yeah. If you love capitalism so much, order some collectible plates. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, what, that's what I mean. There's probably like lots of great pictures of you and Barack Obama that you can license from Getty Images for like $500 <laughs> a piece. And just like that, just like live that life. Like you're not going to make the country worse from your lazy boy. All right. We got to wrap up. Can um, I, before we go, can yeah. I say my favorite letter from a politician? Yes. It was when, uh, rest, God rest his soul. I think you're probably going to know immediately <laughs> when, uh, Boston mayor Tom Menino. I knew it was Menino. <laughs> wrote to tell Chick-fil-A not to come to Boston. <laughs> and he, I don't think his politics were immaculate all across the board, but it was deeply heartwarming to just be like, you gotta stay out of our city. <laughs> That's what the letter was. Um, yeah, for those of you who aren't deeply familiar with uh, Boston, Boston politics, politics, as Josh and I are, Mayor Menino was mayor of Boston for twenty years. Mayor of Boston for twenty years, um, just incomprehensible. Uh, his nickname was Mumbles Menino, and someone got mad at me because on the day he died, I tweeted, uh, "In his death, as in his life, there are no words." <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> Which I think I stand by. Honestly, yeah. Uh, oh, what a what a legend! All right, Josh, where can our listeners find you? Um, you can find me at joshgondelman.com. I have a, a essay collection coming out uh, September seventeenth. That's available for pre order now. You can find that and uh, twitter.com slash Josh Gondelman all that stuff the book is called nice try Try. stories of best intentions and mixed results and if you listened I would love for you to buy that book and read it and enjoy it it's the best and Josh is the best and we can't thank you enough thank you for having me thank you so much Josh thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed the episode please rate us and review us on iTunes that really helps us out getting the word out about this podcast it's still pretty new and we would super appreciate uh, a rating or review 
Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, which is O-H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can also find our Reply Guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. As I went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley This land was made for you and me. This land is your land.